Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What? Today we've got Dr. James Morhen on and he's a performance nutritionist. Hi, James. Hi, how are we? Good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, all good, thank you. All good, all good. Amazing. Let's jump straight in then, James. Do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do? Yeah, so I guess at the moment um, I'm a performance nutritionist um, practicing and, and working within the world of elite um, sport, um, in particular international football. So I work at the FA, um, that's my current employment, and uh, the, the direct team that I work with is the women's senior team, um, of whom we've got many over in Japan, ready for the, the Team GB Olympics. Um, so that's where I'm currently at, and I've kind of had previous roles and responsibilities within West Ham Football Club, also kind of amateur combat sport athletes. And my PhD was fully funded by um, two professional rugby league organisations. Kind of free experience with professional rugby players. Very cool. So what, what made you go into, you know, performance nutrition? Yeah, I think um, like with many sport and exercise science undergrad students, it was a drive for um, that, that want and desire of not actually being a professional athlete myself. And so it was, I, I guess, the, yeah, the, the, the drive to support them as a um, support personnel. Um, and, and within the sports science discipline, there's obviously a number of dis- different disciplines, whether that be sports psychology, um, sport nutrition, sports science itself, strength and conditioning. But for me, it was it was really the interest of, of how, depending on what you eat, kind of meal to meal, day to day, week to week, month to month, can really have a, a quite a big influence on the ability of an athlete to train and recover correctly, um, which would result in positive or negative training adaptation, but also then how that can impact, directly impact elite level winning performances. Um, and also if, if you don't do it correctly, how it could be quite detrimental to elite level performance as well. So yeah, that, that was really where the interest of, of nutrition came from, I guess. And so you obviously studied that your, or your undergrad, and that's probably where you got your initial flair for that nutrition side of things. What did you do? Obviously, your PhD in that, but what do you, how did you start to specifically get more into that topic? Yeah, it was a, I guess, an exposure of um, what nutrition looks like from a, a research point of view in and around the laboratories at Liverpool John Moores University. So an, an unbelievable academic institute to study at with lots and lots of great teachers and PhD students at the time that were, were actively working in sport. And so I used to always put my hand up and volunteer and, and, and want to get involved in uh, research projects as, as much as I could um, and, and applied projects, whether that be in the labs or kind of out in the field. And, and it was really that, taste of what research in performance nutrition looked like when I was studying my undergrad and masters that then that then gave me the drive to go on and study that at a PhD level um so I guess the the initial ignition of the flame I guess would be putting my hand up volunteering looking at what it looked like from a laboratory research point of view as a student um that then kind of 
gave me the motivation and the drive to want to study it myself as a PhD student. I think um, nutrition and sport has obviously come a long, long way from, you know, 10, 20 years previous. But do you think uh, professional sport, it's still something that's growing in levels of importance? I think um, I listened to James Haskell's podcast a, a few months ago, and he was talking about when he went and played with a French team um, and their levels of nutrition compared to what he was used to in England were completely different. I think he yeah. said that the nutritionist on the coach said, right, jump off here at the gas station, get yourself a sandwich and get back on. So there's yeah, different yeah. levels. Um, and do you think it's still growing in importance across different sports? Yeah, I, I listened to that exact same podcast as well, actually. And um, <laughs> yeah, it, it got me uh, thinking about how how nutrition is is received and accepted, I guess, within the elite circles. But yeah, look, it, it is massively still growing. Um, you know, the, the influence of sports science within professional sport is actually relatively new. Um, and, and I remember when Sir Alex Ferguson retired, he actually got asked, you know, what was the the biggest change that he saw in professional football. And, and, and he said it was the influence of sports science that's come into the discipline. So, and I've got, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson retired, what, however many years ago. So it is still relatively new. And I, I think every single year it is growing as an industry. There's been, you know, more and more jobs are becoming available for part-time consultants or full-time practitioners. Um, and, yeah, it, it is just growing. The more research that happens, the more funding that's involved, the more we're beginning to find out how nutrition can influence adaptation and performance. And it's a really exciting area. Um, having said that, I would say that nutrition is actually probably the, the, the newest person to the sports science party. Um, and, and with that, unfortunately, we still see many clubs and organisations, I would say, trying to shortcut the provision of nutrition within their professional environment um, and uh, you know there's many examples of where you've got clubs and organizations having fitness coaches and strength and conditioning coaches who are qualified and professional in their own discipline actually trying to deliver and and operate a service of nutrition which actually is its own qualified discipline so although it is growing and, and it is developing there's still a lot of uh, room for that growing to happen. Um, and I think the, the golden outcome of it all is to have a full-time nutritionist in every sporting organisation within the UK, just like there is a strength and conditioning coach or a, a sports scientist or a fitness coach. How accepted are the athletes to having a nutritionist and how sort of like controlled is their intake on of uh, food and what they're actually getting in is it is it over the years obviously the idea of nutrition has increased and is more widely accepted but is it actually being adopted by the athletes yeah it's, good. it's a really good question and it's something that we battle with kind of day in day out with many stakeholders that all have an opinion on nutrition and and ultimately an influence on nutrition so I think the first thing to highlight here is that every single human being on the planet eats. And, and with that, every single person will, will have their own view and their own opinion of what nutrition looks like in their eyes. And it, it's down to us as registered and qualified nutritionists to educate or re-educate some of those individuals, whether they're support staff or whether they're actually the athletes, to say, right, although this is your 
view on what good nutrition looks like and this is your view on what the athlete should or shouldn't consume this is actually what the scientific literature says and and we have to spend time coaching and educating those individuals so that that's the first thing to highlight and then going back to your second question um is it accepted by the athletes at the moment there you know like like with anything there are some athletes that absolutely love it and and they really want to buy into the the education the coaching and the strategies that you're trying to give them but like with anything there's also athletes that don't really get off on nutrition they don't really enjoy it as much as maybe i do and um their, their kind of passionate drive to buy into it might not be there but they're, they're the difficult eggs that should be quite fun and challenging to work with. And, it, you know, it's down to us as the passionate nutritionists to get them to buy into the, the, the ideas and the education that we're trying to provide. So my, my learnings as a practitioner to date, and, you know, I'm only someone in the industry that's had a very short career, but where I have found my biggest wins with athletes that either enjoy it already or the athletes that don't enjoy it already is to really sit down with them and spend some good time educating them and coaching them on a one-to-one level and, and really getting to know them as a person first, you know, understanding what, what makes them motivated to want to get better in their sport, what what drives them to get better each day, what, what is the hook that we can grab onto to get them to buy into the strategies I'm trying to deliver with them. And I think once you get to know the person and you build that level of trust, um, it becomes a, a lot easier, uh, a lot easier. And, and I, for one, have, have learned that from lessons in the past and mistakes that I've made where you might be meeting a, an athlete for the first time and straight away you're trying to shove a nutrition plan in front of their face and you actually haven't asked them how their weekend was. And, and I think that's where it's really key as a, a practitioner to you know, dial up and dial down certain parts of your delivery at the right time of the day and there's a right place and the right time to do that and you kind of touched on it earlier when you mentioned about stakeholders um so we had robert pacey back on the podcast a while ago and he was nice. talking about you know um, strength and conditioning coaches are kind of in their own little battle with the whole coaching team to get time with the athletes to get their points across and and have their impact on that athlete to then have an impact on the team so how do you manage it within the nutrition department to be able to get enough time with the athletes to have that impact yeah historically whether it's rugby football and even boxing like historically it can be difficult because everyone wants their piece of the pie with the athlete um and i think some individuals and some support staff just see nutrition as being breakfast lunch dinner in and around the dining hall Whereas it's so much bigger than that. It, there, there is so much to talk about and educate the athlete on a performance nutrition. And the way I've tried to sell it previously to other key stakeholders is to say, look, you can, you can have that athlete as fit as he can possibly be, injury-free, health and wellness is absolutely amazing. He's had the best night's sleep or she's had the best night's sleep. But unfortunately, if they don't fuel correctly for the 80 or 90-minute game, then it doesn't matter how good they are, they're, they're going to run out of energy towards the back end of the game. Mm. And, you know, how good has it been to see during the Euros recently that you've got players that are taking on fuel halfway through the second half. You've got 
you know, guys running onto the side of the pitch with carbohydrate-based solutions to make sure players are fueling during the match. And that that there is, that's not breakfast, lunch and dinner anymore. That is elite level fueling. Um, so it, it's really selling that message to the coaches and, and having the buy-in with the coaches because in my experience, when I've had the time with the players and I've sat down with the players, they, they get it, they understand it and they really want to buy into it. But it, it, it is uh, kind of getting that green light from, from those people that, you know, decide when the meetings happen. Uh, and again, it's, I would say, education with those individuals, reframing performance nutrition, not to just be, you know, have we got a breakfast, lunch and dinner menu that, that looks amazing? Because if we have, then arguably that's just a food and beverage manager. That's not necessarily a performance nutritionist. No, certainly. How have you developed how do you sort of go from one athlete to another you obviously work with uh, football as well as you've worked with rugby and um you said martial arts and things like that they're different those body um types the endurance the strength they're very different how is it tailoring stuff or tailoring nutrition plans to these different environments yeah I'll I mean, the, the great thing with performance nutrition is that the, the literature is there. So if I want to know what the energy expenditure of a freestyle swimmer is or, you know, a BMX uh, cyclist or whatever, you know, you, a lot of the time you can go out and you can find that literature and you can read it and you can spend time dissecting that information. It then comes down to how you then apply it for that individual. Now, the beauty of football and rugby is that there's a lot of research out there. Only recently last year, we had the UEFA consensus statement on performance nutrition for professional football player. So you've got the you know, world-leading experts in the area all coming together to basically say, this is, from an evidence-based point of view, what professional football players should be doing regards to carbs, proteins, vitamins, minerals, etc. Now it's down to me as a practitioner to take that information and to break it down into really understandable, engaging, bite-sized focus blocks of knowledge bombs, if you like, where players can understand it and they can get it at their level because they're not going to go away and read that journal. They're not going to go away and read the consensus statement, but it's down to me to know that. So in, in terms of like how do you differ it for each sport, then it's looking at the literature that's available within each sport. What can we learn from that literature from a nutrition point of view, but also from a training demand point of view, from an energy expenditure point of view? You know, what does a 30-minute boxing match or boxing fight look like from an energy, energy expenditure? What does a 5K run in the morning look like from an energy expenditure point of view? And then how can we formulate that into nutrition strategies to support the training and competition demands of that sport? But the, the kind of two-sentence summary of that, I guess, is that to go out and read and to go out and have a look at the literature because mm. the majority of the time it is out there. And if it isn't out there, maybe that's the time where we have to put our hands up and, and do the study ourselves. And what is an average day for you? Like, you know, what are some of the tasks that you're actually doing as a performance nutritionist? Yeah, I mean, a, a great question to ask at the moment because obviously the, the worldwide pandemic has shifted a lot of things for many people. But mm. for, for, for me, 
without COVID here, um, my normal week or day would be that I have three days um, on site at St George's Park. Um, and then within that day, when we're not servicing players on camp and, and you know, delivering our kind of education and, and working with players one-to-one -one on camp, it will be working with hotels to structure and formulate menus with our performance chefs. It might be working on outside projects, um, including things like, you know, the, F, the FA supplement governance and policy document, or it could be uh, conducting our own in-house research. So we, we've done the first um, energy expenditure study worldwide ever in international female football players. So, it, you know, it's spending time writing that paper up as an example. So there's um, loads, loads of different things really that, that can happen. And, and I think the uniqueness about the international setup is that we only see our athletes when there's an international camp and that might only be 60 days of the year. So for the rest of the year, you're actually working on projects that allow your delivery of content when you're with the athletes to be even better. So it might be building lesson plans it might be building presentations it, it could be making the environment where they consume their breakfast and lunch and dinner more educational with different you know uh, digital assets on the wall or the way that you lay out the room might be different so lo lots of different things really to focus on when you're not on camp and what do you think are some of the key uh, personality traits that a nutritionist needs um to help these athletes at such a high level? Yeah, great question. And, and it's a great question because it's a question I've asked 10 practitioners in, in the book that I'm currently writing as well, um, due, due to be published soon. So there's a little plug for that. But so what, what's, the, what's the book on? Yeah, look, basically I've, I've gone out and I've asked 10 what I would call very well-respected and, and successful nutritionists in their own right um, across sports, whether that's Premier League, um, elite level endurance cycling, pro rugby. Um, and, I, and I've asked them a handful of questions that I think would help younger practitioners either get their first job in the industry or even if they've got their first job, it would be to help them to develop a little bit quicker in that role. And, and this was one of the questions, you know, what, what do I think or what, what do the, the people that I interviewed think are the key personality traits that we need to work in our industry. Um, and I quite often ask myself the same question. Mm. And, and for me, I think communication is an unbelievable skill that, that we have to possess because we are a nutrition coach. We are trying to take the education that we have learned at university. We're trying to take the knowledge that we read in journal publications and we're trying to impart that knowledge onto the athlete so that they understand it at their level. And, and with that, you are effectively coaching. There's an element of pedagogy in that. So being an excellent communicator is, is a key trait. Um, having an ounce of confidence is going to be key as well, because, you know, if, if you're in a room and you've got to present to 30 players on protein metabolism, you, you have to have an element of confidence in that because otherwise they're going to see straight through it and they're going to wonder if you're not confident, are, are you talking the correct stuff or are you trying to waffle your way through this? So confidence is key. And then I think another big thing that, that I've done throughout my career and I would advise everyone to do is 
to put your hand up and to volunteer. Um, I think there, there is a, an air of people not wanting to do things for free anymore. Mm. And, um, and I personally think that we, we have to get over that and we have to understand that if there's a head coach of a Premier League football team and they want you to work with their athletes, they, they need to know that you've had experience before and that you've had that craft knowledge of being hands-on with athletes. And in, when you're in your early career, the only way to really get that is, is to put your hand up and volunteer and to say, yeah, I'll help out, no problem. Mm. so that would be my final one there and then just a bonus one if I can is is to read it, it's to read the journals it's to read the literature and, and to keep yourself up to date with all of the current science yeah I, I couldn't agree more with the with the you know with all the points but mostly with the um with the last one about reading your subject and and constantly learning I think having you know interviewed over 100 different professionals that's come up time and time again you know yeah. the, the need to constantly be learning and, and pushing your own knowledge forward because it only helps you really in the long run yeah and uh, yeah. I also i love the idea for the book that is um you know anything that helps people with careers we, we love and i think that sounds like a a really interesting book so be sure to let us know when that's um when that comes out yeah and it's i mean look just just for the background of that i've i i'm i am a very early career practitioner and i'm, I'm lucky in the the way that my path has navigated itself i've worked hard for it but you know i I've, I've got a good core group of people around me and i've had over the last couple of years loads and loads of young students and practitioners message me and ask me questions about my job how i got into the industry you know what bits of advice i would impart over to them and i, I just i i just thought oh my god there there is literally a book in this because mm. these questions that you're asking me it was seven years ago that I was asking other people about it, how I could get the job in the industry. And um, I think the one thing that university degrees do very, very well is they teach you the fundamental knowledge and the underpinning principles of sports science and sport nutrition. But I think there's a missing gap as to when you've got that education and you now have qualified, how do you make the step from being a qualified registered nutritionist into that first role mm. and, and what are the key traits that you might need as an individual because if I know if I knew back in 2015 that a key trait that I needed was going to be confidence in presenting then I might have enrolled on an element of CBD that, that taught that taught me how to be more confident when I'm presenting mm. and, and that arguably would have put me in a better place when I then went for my first interviews because I would be confident the way that I'm presenting and standing up in front of people. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. This this might be a bit of a of a tough ask, but if you could name one positive, so the biggest positive you have or you you know you get out of doing this career, what would it be? Oh I, I think it is genuinely being able to influence elite level winning performances. Mm. Um, and, and seeing that change in people. I mean, some of the most rewarding uh, projects I've worked on has been with some of the boxers I've worked with. Seeing a boxer eat more food than he's ever eaten, but lose weight at the same time and being able to put him in a ring in a, in a very well-nourished state, non-dehydrated, and then allow him to go on and, and win a version of the world title 
was was a great experience to see and mm. and, and that there is where directly nutrition has, has supported a world winning performance so I, I think that from an elite level athlete point of view and then on a kind of corporate private client point of view i would say it's it's seeing people drop unwanted fat mass and, and actually becoming a, a healthier individual for their kids and for their family yeah definitely and on the back of that, what would be maybe the two biggest opportunities you felt you had? It may be the boxing one was one, but the two biggest, you know, opportunities you've had so far from your career. Uh, I would say to to represent my country, um, mm. if I can say that. So, you know, I, I work for England football. I work for the FA. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I've been at I've been at games where you know the national anthem is being sung and and you are there thinking yeah you know I'm a part of this journey um, mm. so that that's been good and, and combined with that was um, being able to work with some of the team GB athletes that we've got in uh, Japan now who fingers crossed will go on and, and win a gold medal and I've directly been involved in educating them around how do they fuel and recover for six or seven games in 17 days. Because that's an um, that's quite a relentless kind of fixture window. Mm. So I'd say yeah, those opportunities, and then um, the one from the rugby would be uh, walking out at, at Wembley with with the team that I was working with in a final. And uh, very cool. Yeah, being um, being able to walk out at the national stadium, but you know, being on the pitch and, and that side of the uh, <laughs> barrier, I guess. Uh, what would be some less favourable aspects of um, of this job role and this industry? Less favourable. Um, I mean, it, look, if, if there are individuals that are um, working as private consultants um, and you're self-employed, then, you know, one of those, whether it's a negative or not, but it's it's probably more of an awareness piece is that, you know, you've got to continuously make sure that you have your work and that you're finding those contracts and you're finding the projects to be working on. Um, because if they all dry up, then obviously there's no financial income coming into the bank. So that that would be one on a on a private point of view. Um, and then sometimes my my frustrations I wouldn't say it's probably less favourable, but frustrations at time is that I just don't think performance nutrition at present, not in all sports and not in all clubs, but. As a whole, I don't think it's got the respect that it deserves as a discipline at the moment. And, and it draws me back to my first, one of my first points. I still think there's individuals, clubs and organisations that, that just try and tick a box with it. And mm. they genuinely don't realise how influential fueling and recovering correctly can be for that, for that individual, but also for their squad. Um, and, and I've proven it firsthand like in, in rugby, in, in boxing and in football that if you can get the majority of the squad moving in the right direction with nutrition, it can have a massive, massive influence. And what would be something that you have to deal with on a daily basis, um, but it's probably not in the job description? Probably, oh, I don't know, actually. Like one thing that comes to my mind is being creative with like menu ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but but more and more people are, are, are putting that in that uh, description now and unfortunately we work with performance chefs um, I, I think an element of a, accountability for the individual so 
a lot a lot of the athletes I've worked with sometimes they just need you to hold their hand through the process mm. and they just need you to reconfirm and reinforce the points that you've made and the education so there's there's almost like that not father figure but that that brother figure uncle figure whatever may whatever way we want to frame it but you are there just walking them through holding the hand no we are doing the right thing keep going trust the process um so there's that and then a, a big area that i don't think would be in job descriptions but it's crucial for practitioners to make sure they do is um is reflective practice and it's to constantly look at you know what did i do well that day what, what could I have learned from how, what, what overall that week, was it a good week? Was it a bad week? What lessons were there for me to progress forward? And I think really that's just following a, a growth mindset in, in everything you do. Hmm. Um, and, and if you do that, you'll, you know, nothing will ever be a, a negative or a failure. It'll always just be a lesson because you're learning from it. Hmm. And would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Yeah, 100%. That's awesome to hear. It sounds like you've got a real passion for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I um, again, it's, it's one of the chapters I was just writing on the book today, but there's an area there where one of the practitioners talks about having passion within the industry that you do. Mm. And um, I know Eddie Hearn, and he's got his own, uh, his own podcast called No Passion, No Point. And I, I think that sums it up brilliantly, that unless you're passionate in what you're doing, but what is the point in doing it? Because we're only here once and, and we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time and, and you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy the time that you are here. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, listen, James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really interesting to talk to you and learning all about what you do. No problems anytime. Uh, yeah, I hope uh, the listeners get something from it. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you, reach out and see what you're doing? Yeah, so I've... Um, I've got my own Instagram uh, kind of page um, at Morehem Performance. I've got a website, morehemperformance.com. And then I'm quite active on Twitter and LinkedIn um, under the handles of just James Morehem, which is my name. Um, and yeah, so if people have got questions or they want to ask me a few, few more um, ideas or anything that I've spoke about today, please do reach out. I'm always happy to, to speak with people. Amazing. Thanks again, James. Cheers. No problem. Thank you.